You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I would love to introduce you to Tiffany Bova. She is the chief growth evangelist at Salesforce and the author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. Uh, you can see her published in many, many places, uh, an influencer, a change maker, and always uh, pushing the envelope. And uh, you might have even heard her on other podcasts and other live broadcasts. So thank you for coming on Marketing News Canada. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So um, I managed to get a copy of your book, which is always good uh, before awesome. interviews like this. So maybe give me like the motivation because you know you meet people who are like, I want to write a book one day. It'd be really cool. Maybe kind of give me that impetus for you that got you to get it in writing and published. So I never woke up and said, I really want to write a book. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> I'm a talker, not a writer. Like that little uh, thing that flashes at you when you're waiting to write is just so intimidating to me. It's just, you know, but you know, over the course, I've now been at Salesforce for five years, but prior to that, I was a research fellow at Gartner. And before that, I was a practitioner running sales service and marketing for a technology company. So I had 15 years of doing the job experience. And then I had 10 years of advising both startups all the way to large enterprises, you know, about how they can go to market and grow the business. And so people started asking me, you know, why don't you have a book? And then it started getting more and more frequent. And then I was speaking more and more. And actually, it was at an art event in Canada, in Vancouver, that I was speaking at. And everybody who was on stage with me had a book, and I didn't have a book. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe this is what I need to do. Then the great Seth Godin and I have known each other for about 20 years. And we were speaking at an event together, and he came up to me and he said, You really need to write a book. He said a few things before that, but not to be repeated. So anyway, it was, you really need to write a book. And when Seth Godin says, you really need to write a book, you write the book. That's <laughs> so amazing. that's how it happened. That is amazing. I, have you have you read his recent, The Practice? I have. Which is a great book about just doing it and getting it out there and publishing and writing. So I assume maybe he's, you know, passed down some of that onto you, the, the get her done. Yeah, and he ended up being the quote on the cover of my of my book. So that was, you know, nice as well. But, you know, I've interviewed him obviously a number of times and I've asked, you know, when people want to become marketers, what would be your advice? And his advice was go do it. Like go market for your kid's school or for, you know, your local, you know, church, go do it for your local community, like volunteer your time, do it, do it, practice, practice. Do you really like it? <laughs> are you good at it? And if you are both of those things, then, and you're not in a marketing role right now, then that's a great way for you to try it out and give it a shot and then maybe make a career change. Yeah. There's this yogurt place I love called Menchie's and you can go in there and get little like sample cups and it was amazing. So if you were to give like a sample cup, because I know we can't talk about the whole book on the show, but I want to give like your favorite flavors or toppings from your book. What are the pieces that stand out to you or maybe kind of what you hear from most of the people that come up to you afterwards and say, I've read your book and this stood out for me. So, you know, there's a couple of things. One, I say that I wrote a book that I would want to read. So I'm a classic short attention span kind of person. And I'm also not a read retain kind of learner. I'm a visual listen learner. So how do you do that in a written book? 
So I spent a lot of time on the feel of the book. And I don't mean like what it physically feels like, but what it feels like when you read it. Is it heavy? Is it full of a lot of jargon? Is it you know, dense in its content of like 50 pages that you have to read? And then you're like, what did I just read? So I broke it up with sketch notes. I underlined key points. I put key takeaways at the end because I know not, you know, people most likely not going to read word for word all the way through. But if they like the book and maybe they didn't like the story or that particular brand, they could go to the key takeaways and move on. And so I sort of organized it in that way. And so I heard a lot about just the way it was written. And I worked really hard on that. And so that was a real sort of positive about it. You know, so that's kind of the cup for the yogurt, right? It's sort of the container of what the book and the insights was going to be. From an insight perspective, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I modernized what people have been doing for a long time when it comes to growing the business, using sort of all the things technology now has to offer. So I think it was familiar. So that's sort of another little topping, right? It was familiar in its concepts. But the aha moment for me was it wasn't one thing. There was not one thing about growth. It was a combination of multiple things. And the order in which you do things has measurable and meaningful impact into your ability to succeed. Those would be the big ones, right? It's like, it's not one thing. It's a combination of many. And then the order in which you do it. Those are probably the, you know, if I had to really boil it down, that's kind of how I say it. What's your path to growth? There's 10 choices I write about. In what combination? In what sequence? Right. And that's really the foundation of it. I feel like you wrote this book and, and I'm thinking of like business coaches and mentors that are out there. I feel like you wrote a, the cheat sheet for business coaches and mentors. They can just use your book as kind of a roadmap to coaching and helping others or people. And, and I have this in my life. feel like you could be their business coach via author, right? Like that you get the chance to kind of multiply yourself, you know, thousands of times for everyone who picks up your book. And that was really the, you know, the kind of the other part of writing it was like, I just couldn't scale my time. Obviously I've been so grateful for sort of how it's done. You know, it launched, we're coming up on three years and people are still really reading it because it's still very relevant. And I wrote it so it would be always relevant. Um, It was not a point in time. You know, it was points in time that could have been 10 years, five years, five months ago, right? And so the stories are still very relevant because they don't change, but it's been translated in nine languages. You know, it's making its way around the globe. I've got the audible version. I had to read my book word for word, cover to cover, (laughs) took all week. So, you know, you can listen to me for, I don't know, seven hours, depends on the speed in which you listen to it. But, you know, so it's been an amazing, humbling, inspiring, gratifying, terrifying process all in one. Amazing. I feel like what I like about the book and those that are out there that maybe yeah are, are loving, you know, you're listening to a podcast, so you probably love audio and maybe you don't read as much thicker books, but I feel like it was like a friend of mine from university or a friend, a peer of mine said, Hey, I, I just read this book. Here it is. But when I open it up, it was like the, all their notes on the side bits, all the best parts of it. It's like you had done the note taking for me. But it's funny to think because like you wrote the book and then you put all these notes to make it easier for me to actually digest. Yeah. The challenge in that though, is because I made it so heavily visual, it doesn't translate on audible. Yeah. So how did you do So, so how, what did you have to do for that? Well, so I didn't actually say there's an image on the page and it looks (laughs) like there. Yeah. Right. I kind of have to blow by it. And so you don't know that that particular sentence was underlined. Yeah. And so I put a lot of work and energy, as I said, into how the book would feel. But as a first time author, (laughs) 
I didn't think it all the way through about it being an audible and what would lose on that. And so I published with Portfolio Random House, you know, which is also Macmillan, depending on where you are on the Commonwealth, right? But I think if they had said to me, look, you got to keep that in mind, I would have said back, can I stray a little bit from the book when I'm doing the audible so I could explain the image? And yeah. because I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, by the time I realized that that was probably going to be a problem, I was three days into recording eight hours a day. So I was 24 hours in and there was no way wow. I could go back, you know, but now I know right now I know if, and when there's a next one, what I can yeah. do. Or it's a audible 2.0 where you did the enhanced audio, like Malcolm Gladwell's new method of like interviews. And it's you interviewing different brands that you talk about in the book, you know, that kind of, uh, benefit the chapters. Yeah, I wish my publisher, you know, looked at me like Malcolm Gladwell and said, sure, sure, well, go ahead and do a second one. <laughs> but, you know, maybe someday soon. But, you know, yes. when you sell a million copies like Malcolm yeah. does sort of, you know, in a month, probably, you get the ability to go back and re-record. That's awesome. So tell me about Salesforce. So you have one of the coolest titles. You know, you, you don't often meet someone who's the chief growth evangelist, right? So I think there's one other I've met, uh, Guy Kawasaki calls himself, you know, an, an evangelist. Yeah. Okay. 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 So (laughs) tell me about the job title and then what does that look like in the Salesforce world? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I have a funny story with Guy. We grew up in the same hometown and we went to rival high schools. He's older than me. Let me make sure I'm really clear. And so, you know, we've sort of always poked at each other, you know, for a long time because we're both born and raised in Hawaii. And so, you know, in Hawaii, it's all about what high schools you go to, right? So rival high schools, like we will never pass up an opportunity to give each other a hard time. So you know, anytime I can give guy a hard time, I'm all in. And I think the last time I saw him was in Toronto at Elevate in Canada. Yeah. yeah last time I physically saw him, I saw him backstage with Michelle Obama. So I uh, got an opportunity for the three of us to, to connect. But Guy did a great job of understanding the power of story as an evangelist at Apple. And that was like, I want to say it was almost 20 years ago now. But what Salesforce did for me was they said, look, we want you to continue doing what you're doing and advising customers, but we want you to do it for us. And if I had chosen sort of any other title, it would have given the impression that one, I had responsibility at Salesforce internally, which I don't, I'm an individual contributor. I'm not on the sales team, so I'm not out selling. So if I'd said something in that vein, you know how it goes. And so I think, you know, Growth and Innovation Evangelist five years ago was a title people weren't using. Now it's very, very common, right? So then I dropped innovation from the title because we've added someone to the team, you know, who's taken on sort of the innovation evangelist role. And so I'm sort of really focused on growth at the moment, but it was a way to just, you know, communicate to the market what I was and wasn't, right? But so fascinating that everybody wants to talk about that title. So that's always good. No, it's great. And I think, you know, you, you hear the term in like the church sector, right? And, 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 you know, evangelists and evangelism, but the heart of it, right. Of, of, you know, explaining to people the story and telling the story and spreading the message is such a beautiful way to look at a brand versus just kind of pounding it across or, you know. Yeah. And, and I often get asked to talk about Salesforce on Salesforce. Like what does Salesforce do? You know, internally people will come and say, excuse me, you know, I need a, we have a customer event or I need for someone to do an executive briefing about Salesforce on Salesforce. I'm, I'm not the person, not that I can't talk about it, but the yeah. second I do that, right, I lose that objectivity of yeah. while I work at Salesforce, obviously, and I have, you know, sales cloud, 
you know, logo on my business card and I'm a full-time employee, I try to stay as agnostic as I can. So I talk about the people process strategy side of it and how technology is an enabler. And of course, I hope you use Salesforce technology, but you know, you're going to have to use something and here's why you need to use it, how you might want to use it and the things you should consider. Right. And so if I can get a halo effect of helping people understand the value of technology, not that it's trying to replace human or whatever that might be, you know, the power of experience and, you know, pulling together disparate groups like sales, marketing and customer service or customer success, I'm having a much different level conversation. There are 55,000 other people who could talk about Salesforce on Salesforce. I'm just not the one that would do that. And it's so fascinating, like working with brands and just seeing Salesforce's role. You probably don't see it on the front or people don't, you know, you don't see it visibly, but it powers so many companies, whether it's small, medium, large, enterprise size businesses. And, and, you know, the way that it interfaces with marketing, it's plays such a crucial role. It's pretty awesome. And actually in Vancouver here in Canada, there's an entire company, quite a large one, whose entire company is based on helping businesses implement Salesforce, which is pretty cool because they can see the power of it if run and managed well. Yeah, and we have, you know, those ISV consulting partners, integration partners around the globe and they're part of our, you know, broader shareholder ecosystem and they're critically important to the ability for customers to be able to take advantage of all the things the technology has to offer. It's ridiculous to think that someone internally is going to know how exactly how to deploy it, integrate it, you know, and all of the things that go with it. So, you know, our partners are a critical part of our success. So you meet someone and we had a lot of, you know, marketers, C-suites listening to the show, a lot of folks that work, even agency side. Maybe I want to go start with maybe agency side and you could ask me, you know, if I could ask three questions, what are probably the three most important questions I should be thinking about to grow my business? To try to nail it down to that, if I'm thinking about growing an agency. First thing I'd say, what does growth mean to you? What does growth look like? Because, you know, sometimes when you say growth, someone might say, look, I just want to grow what I grew last year. I just want to not lose money. Yeah. I want to grow, you know, 5%. I want to double my business. Those are very different growth goals. So the first thing I ask is, what are your growth goals? That's kind of the first. The second one is, what are you doing today to grow the business? What's working, not working? I call that in the book, the context, right? Like, tell me about the context. Who's your customers? What's your culture? What are your products and services? Who's your competition? How many customers do you have? How awesome do they buy? Right. All that around how you're currently growing. So that while you said three questions, there's probably a hundred questions under each of those, right? But the three big buckets, right? The first and then the subcategory questions. So what does growth mean to you? Because not all growth is good growth. Too fast of scale can sometimes backfire. So, right. Second context. What's going on in your business? What are you doing today? And what's working, not working? And then from there, I can then sort of uncover and ask them, what is happening in your customer? Are they moving towards digital self-service channels? Are they buying online now? Are you know, if you're a retailer, are they buying online and picking up in store? If you're about to open back up, like I'm in Southern California and we're opening back up. You know, so today, which is amazing. And so, you know, that has ramifications on contactless payment as an example, where some people set up an appointment, you know, to even regardless, if you never had appointments before, people wanted appointments to make sure that they could come in, it was safe, 
They got great experience. And so what's happening in the customer? But the fourth one I would add is what is the temperament, temperature, culture, employee experience? Like those four things I would want to know, right? And it's not in exact that order. I might flip it around a little bit, but I want to know, you know, do you have a Lots of people want to work here. Are you a good place to work? Do you take care of your people? Like all of that on the employee side, what's happening in the customer? Then context is what's happening in your business, like, right, what's working? And then what does growth mean to you? Those would be the ones I would ask. So just, I want to talk about like, I picked up your book, got to read the book. In my mind, I'm trying to check, like if I, you know, I read through the book and I want to practically implement the pieces that you have, I feel like it's almost a book. And I want you to push back on this. I want to read it every year. And I almost want to go through it with my leadership team where it's like once a year, we're going to go through, call it, you know, your questions or Tiffany's, you know, your proprietary questions, if you want to call it that. But it's like, we should almost review this once a year and see where we stand. Or is it once a quarter? Or Like, where have you seen people implement the book? Or what did you imagine the book would do for businesses? You're right. Like, you know, in preparation for planning, re-looking at it. You know, unless you're a really large organization, as I described, there's sort of 10 paths to growth. Right. And I said that there was not one way you could grow it. It's always a combination. So it's going to be a combination of, so for example, I'd say customer experience was just one of the paths, optimizing the way you sell, which is one of the paths, and customer-based penetration, which is another one of the paths. Those three like should always happen. Like mm. strong customer experience, yeah. you're optimizing the way you're selling, and you're taking care of your existing base of customers. Like That should always happen. Now, the other paths might be, oh, should I launch a new product? Should I enter a new market? Those are two different paths. Should I establish uh-huh. a new partnership? That's a different path. Should I right, accelerate in this part of my business? That's a different path. And so those three kind of are pretty constant. And it's what the other ones you're going to add. And so once again, it's always this ability to look for the signals. What's working? What's not working? You know, Are you getting in your own way where it would work if you maybe did it a different way? And so I think that ultimately how you were growing the business pre-pandemic, I hope is not the same way you're growing the business post-pandemic. You know, I hope you've taken the time to say, let's not go back to the status quo. Let's reimagine sort of what's possible and what's possible may be a completely different selling model, a different customer model, you know, a different service model, a different business model, like now, if you're small, that's overwhelming and intimidating and you're, it's uncomfortable, but we have to get much more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And if you want to disrupt your business, you have to disrupt yourself first. So it's this continuous virtuous cycle, right? Of, okay, I want to change the business. Okay. What do I have to change about myself? Like I have to learn new skills. I have to figure out new partnerships or new products or new, whatever it might be. And that's where the book can really play a role because it will spark you to go, wow. I didn't even think about doing that in that way. And that's why it's also timeless. And so I've definitely heard people, I've read it twice, I've read it three times, or I read the two or three paths that I want to actually focus on again, or I reread this one path. So, you know, I see it being something that for sure during your strategy and planning, but if things aren't working, then maybe it might help you uncover why they aren't working. It could be combination, could be sequence, could be context. And or if you all of a sudden decide you want to double down on growth, like we said, right? Like you got to pick your growth goal. If you want to double down on growth, you better make the right decision or set yourself up to try, iterate, fail, learn, try, iterate, fail, learn, keep going. 
you know, so I think that, yes, you're correct. I think revisiting it through your process of strategy building and then, you know, that communication loop back and forth between your employees and customers is critical. Amazing. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I feel like, you know, we look at magazines when you went to the airport and you'd see like Fast Company and Forbes and and they would always put in like Uber and Netflix. And we know about these glory stories and all of them have that like crescendo moment or they took off and, you know, they always got the, you know, the, the hard to get there. But I feel like you said to people, hey, you know, you go to a mountain or you go on a hike, there's like 50 different paths to take up that mountain to get to that peak. You don't just need to look at, you know, the celebrated people who got to the top of the mountain. And that's what I thought was so cool. And every path is actually okay. Like, it's okay if your path looks like that. And it's not always going to look like Ubers or Netflix. Even though they get celebrated, you know, your path is going to look different. You might even see different animals along the way that they didn't even get to see. And that's okay. I don't know. I felt like you spoke that to me what, yeah, during absolutely. your book. Yeah, and, and that's great. You got that from it. And, you know, listen, I in each of the paths, I gave two positive use cases of someone yeah. using that path as a way to grow. Which is so and cool. And then I also gave a cautionary tale. This is where someone went astray. And for customer experience, I actually used Starbucks, which I think people were a little surprised that I would pick on Starbucks as a customer service, customer experience, cautionary tale, because they're known as being such a strong customer experience brand, but they were and lost their way. So if they had continued down the path that they were, they wouldn't be in the position they're in now. So bring back the CEO, get back to the basics, get back to what established the brand. It was all about experience get rid of the noise and refocus. And so the message to someone is, I'm not going to be Starbucks, but we've lost our way on experience. Yes, We need to rethink about it, right? Or I'm not going to be Netflix. But the story in Netflix is oh. when they launched their product, 
in the US anyway, we all had DVD players and VHS in our home. We didn't all have high-speed internet. So had they started with streaming, it probably would have failed because Blockbuster had done a streaming service years before Netflix had ever thought of it. But what was wrong in that was the context of the market was wrong. We didn't have high-speed internet. So if Blockbuster had thought about it as a long-term play to say, I'm going to capture all the VHS and DVD businesses. And as people get high-speed internet, I'll get more and more and more and more instead of if it was a replacement strategy, it wasn't right. So what did Netflix do? We're just going to start with DVD and we'll start with streaming. And as people, right. But as they left the US, they didn't start with DVDs. They went straight to streaming because the rest of the world was you know, much more advanced. So, okay, what's the lesson there is what are our customers capable of doing? If you're selling to a demographic that is 75 years or older, and then you create an app and that's the only way they could buy, probably not a good situation, right? It's very similar. So once again, right? Like if your demographic is 75 or older and you app might not be the one, you're going to have some, especially after the last 18 months, who are going to be much more technically savvy than they ever were. But just because they can do a video call with their grandkids doesn't mean necessarily they can buy in an app, right? But understanding that kind of discussion is really critical, you know, and one more is the one story when the book first launched that I got asked about again and again was Kylie Jenner. And, you know, whatever you might think of the Kardashian Jenner family, that wasn't really the point. The point was she built a half a billion dollar brand with 12 employees. Yeah. So you don't have to build manufacturing the way you used to, right? You can partner to do it. No other beauty brand had gotten to a billion dollars faster. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you can argue, was it 750? Is it a billion? You know, now she sold, you know, a stake of it, like whatever it is, whether it's a hundred million, 500 million or 900 million or a billion point is it's a lot more than I have. (laughs) So, and the model is genius. The model is what, so when people say, as you just said, like to Uberize your business or Amazon, your business or Netflix, your business, it isn't about replicating them. It's about understanding. Netflix for me was that sequence story, the constantly optimizing how easy it is to find what you want to watch online. It used to be people would look for 60 seconds and then it was 45 seconds and then it was 30 seconds. And now it's like 11 seconds. If you don't find what you're looking for, you move on. And they added a surprise me button. Just pick something for me. Pick something for me, right? Or the recommendation engine of people who watch this, watch that. Okay. Well, where did that start? Yeah. Didn't start there right? No. Started with a very large, you know, online retailer, right? Yeah. So those are the things you can learn from yeah. in borrowing those kinds, but only if it matches your customer, yeah. your employee, the context of your business and your culture can handle it. Amazing. So speaking of context, so you speak on the circuit, this last couple of years was a, a, a unusual year for speakers. Do you think there'll be a big change at events and conferences and keynotes? You spoke of, you know, the art of and elevate and other events. Do you think it'll look different in 2022 and 2023 for you as a keynoter? Well, I don't think we will go, you know, in 2019, I flew 600,000 kilometers or 200,000, 275,000 miles. I gave a hundred keynotes on six continents, Canada, a number of times, Iceland, like South Africa, like Europe, Asia, right? Latin America. and you know, last year I almost doubled that amount. And of course, in the first three months it was, I was traveling. And then it was, you know, like today, for example, I'm doing four 
three, including this podcast. Yeah. So the volume has increased because you can do multiple in a day where before it used to be, you'd have to travel. So I hope we don't stay this way. I hope it goes to hybrid for events, which Salesforce is absolutely completely invested in, including for our big Dreamforce event. But that also allows the ability for more people who could maybe couldn't travel, couldn't afford to travel, couldn't get access to actually attend an event that normally would have been only in person. So I'm excited to see how we can open up, right, and democratize access to great content in different ways. So if you want to show up in person and you can afford to show up in person and you're, you know, all of those things, great. If you can't, maybe it's so many tickets will be donated to, you know, open the doors to the next generation or so many tickets will be online to get more of a global footprint. And then others might be, you know what, it's small, it's regional, it's only going to be in person. That's okay. Or it's small and regional, it's only going to be virtual. So I feel like now we're going to have more options, but I hope it doesn't pivot away from in-person to such a place that it becomes unrecognizable and not because I, you know, don't have anything else to do, but it's because I think that the accidental interactions at events, it's really hard to replicate, super hard to replicate uh, virtually. Yeah. So you mentioned a a Canadian, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book years ago called The Tipping Point. Mm -hmm. And I actually use it as a, a text for a class I was teaching. And he was coming to Vancouver to speak at this event. So I signed up. I actually couldn't afford the event. So I signed up as a media and I was like, I'll, I'll write a blog about our interaction. And I got accepted for some reason. So I show up at this media scrum or whatever they call it. And I was the only media that showed up. So Malcolm and I got, we got to hang out for an hour and, and I filmed this super awkward, like, I think it was like one of the original iPhone videos with him. And then we went and had a drink and it was just this really awkward hour, but I'll never forget it the rest of my life. Cause, but that's the beauty of these events is the face-to-face, the, you know, serendipitous or awkward interactions that just happen that you can't do online as well. Yeah. And, and I will tell you for me, I have been super busy days. I've been super bored yeah. days. I've been super uninspired days. Yeah. I've been super inspired days. I've been not bored. Do you know what I mean? Like it's this roller coaster of You just don't know. And I'm absolutely a people person and I learn and get fuel for my content from interactions. And so while I can get more interactions, you know, uh, remotely, obviously it is valuable. It is good. I just happen to enjoy, you know, in person more. Yeah. We had our first uh, BC where we are just opened up. So we had our first, uh, one of my first client dinners last night. I remember coming home and just feeling like, that just felt good. Like it wasn't a day on Zoom. It wasn't this, you know, kind of waiting for them to talk. It was just in person and eating food and like literally breaking this loaf of bread together and eating crab. And it was so neat. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, you know, I just interviewed somebody for my uh, LinkedIn Live, Erica Darwin, who wrote Digital Body Language. And she started working on it in 2018. And the timing of it publishing, like, had she known, right? And it yeah. like exploded. Oh, yeah. It's actually, a high, I highly recommend it because it talks about how you communicate virtually, how you might be misunderstood, how generationally, when you put a period at the end of a text message to a millennial, they think you're mad. If you, you know what I mean? Like little yeah. things, like if you overuse emojis, if yeah. you wink with a, you know, what does that mean? And Anyway, I was like, the next email I wrote after our conversation, I'm like, okay, how do I write this yes, email? Because yeah. now I have all this in my head of what not to do. But and what animated gifts are kosher and what aren't? And yes, 
Yeah. Right. And how you say things and, you know, yeah. an exclamation point, a question mark, a period, a comma, nothing has yeah. different tones yeah. and right meanings. Anyway, you know, thinking about that, I think we've become much more virtually engaging. Yeah. But now I find when I'm actually in front of someone, I feel out of sorts. Like, yeah. right. So, yeah. <laughs> we have to re- relearn yeah, human interactions relearn. again. Like socializing, yeah. oh, conversation, oh, yeah. eye contact, remembering yeah. names. Like, cause I'm so used to now looking down below and going, oh, what's yeah. that person's name? Right. It saves me. And now it's, you know, when I'm going to be in person again, like to remember, it's just anyway. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that we can take positive out of the last yeah. 14 or 15 months. I think we cannot unsee or unlearn the things we've learned over the last 15 months. But it's also highlighted the inequalities that we have as well, that if technology and virtual is going to be the way we're going to communicate, teach, work, you know, meet with doctors, et cetera, that you have to then make it more equitable for people to have access. And in the US, as an example, 30 million people don't have high-speed internet. And then you have, you know, millions who don't have access to any bandwidth whatsoever. And so then you say- In the United States. In the United States. States. In the United States, right? So not- in an undeveloped country, in a developed, yeah. mature, yeah. massive GDP. So you can't then say we're going to go this route unless you can take everyone with you. So there's yeah. all kinds of implications. You know, hopefully our infrastructure bill will solve some of these lingering issues that we've had in, in the country for some time. But, you know, ultimately that's a question. If you're going to make that kind of decision, have you just cut out a segment of your prospective client base, customer base? Yeah. You know, all of that, if they don't have access to the technology, quote unquote, you know, air quotes of what that means. Like if you're only going to be able to see a menu on an app on a smartphone and you walk up and don't have a smartphone, how are you supposed to see the menu? Yeah. If you're going to order food for delivery or groceries for delivery and you only can do it on an app, you're not going to get right. And so that's what I mean by, you know, sort of giving this sort of equal access if we're going to make this kind of shift. Yeah. And we have the same issue in Canada. There's lots of communities that don't have access. No, it's wild. So for you, this next season, what does it mean for you? Like another book coming out, speaking, is it continuing to meet with brands? I know you've got a great live coming up tomorrow with our own Michelle, the dragon. uh, Yes. Dragon's Den. Yes. Yep. So it's it's really been a great experience for me to stretch myself and do stuff I don't normally do. Like I yeah. wasn't doing LinkedIn Lives before, even though I had approval to do them, I wasn't doing them, yes. right? So you know, now obviously I'm doing three this week, which was probably poor planning on my part. And I was on one today earlier with the Thinkers 50 group. So you know, I I hope that I will continue with that kind of creativity in the content I'm putting out. But I'm looking forward to being back on stage. Hopefully that happens, you know, sometime soon this year, crossing my fingers for sort of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And we're now talking about sort of my team is talking about a second book. And I was not very interested in doing it because the first process was really challenging for me. As I said at the beginning of this interview, right? Like it's just, it's, I'm not a writer, I'm a talker. Yeah. So how do we recreate my ability to crank out 45,000 words while I have a day job. Right. So, you know, there's that small little need that we have. Right. So, but I think it's in the early stages and the fact that I'm even beginning to talk about it uh, means I've come a long way over the last three years. That's for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm sure Seth would be very proud and probably endorse (laughs) your next book, which would be amazing. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That's amazing. Okay. How do you feel about doing some rapid fire questions? All right. I'm all, I'm all ready. 
So say skip if you want to skip it, and then okay. we'll go through these and have some fun with it. All righty. What, what was your first ever job? Oh, so I worked for a family friend, and her mom was one of the very first women to be in the YPO, Young President's yeah, Organization. Yeah. That's amazing. And so I wanted to be her. Like I wanted yeah. the same briefcase and I wanted the right. I so I had a very strong female business, you know, role model that yeah. I could see what I wanted to be, right? Which yeah. not many people young get to do that. So I yeah. I started working for the family business. And so for you know almost seven years, I think, you know, just by pure force, I learned everything I learned about business. I learned at the carnival and that's, that's you know, because incredible. they owned the carnival business in Hawaii and indoor arcades. So it's that's not a amazing. joke. Like literally that's the that line. Everything I learned about business, I learned at the carnival. Yes. And is she, is she still with us today? She is still with us. She is okay. still with us. Well, shout out if you're listening right now. Thank you for all <laughs> you've done. It's amazing. Uh, night owl or early bird? In my 20s, night owl. In my yes. 30s, night owl. In my yeah. 40s, less so. Now I'm in my fifties. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But I would say I I'm out of travel shape where, you know, when you're traveling at the pace I was traveling, I didn't know if it was day or night, right? It's just sort of, oh, am I supposed to be somewhere in an hour? Okay, let me go do that. Like, right. But now that I've been home for 15 months, I really have realized (laughs) I got to get up really early and then, you know, sort of early evening I'm whipped. So I'd say that it has shifted. I hope at some point I become a night owl again. Yes, that, that would be great. It'd be great. Cat or dog person? Both, but right now I have cats. Okay. Dark or milk chocolate? Neither. Hey, favorite word right now? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Hmm. Maybe equitable. Like it. It's awesome. What is the last charity you supported financially or volunteer time and why? So I am a huge fan of Wildlife SOS. It actually rescues elephants in India. I donate a ton of money to them. And whenever people are like, hey, we'd love to pay you for something. I'm like, great, donate it. You know, I have a job. So thankfully, you know, I don't have to worry about that. But, you know, I love what they do and trying to get the begging elephants, you know, off the streets and into, you know, they just rescued one last week, actually, who had been begging on the streets for 60 years and she was blind and they rescued her and, you know, she's having like her first water bath and watermelon and dust bath oh. that she's had in 60 years. Right. Wow. So that's who it is. Wildlife SOS. Check them out if you're looking nice. for someplace to uh, donate. And we'll put a link in the uh, show notes for sure. Awesome. What's a movie that you love? So <laughs> funny you'd say that the other day, it was like, you know, it was very hot outside. And so I, I was like, oh, you know, I'll just turn on the TV and up pop Pretty Woman. Like I hadn't nice. seen Pretty Woman <laughs> in like 20 years, yeah. right? And, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies, but it's one of those ones where I watched the yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah. So that's sort of the last one. And Lauren Wood, actually, who sung the uh, the song for the soundtrack, the head leading song, is a friend of mine. So it's, oh, cool. you know, sort of a full circle moment that I met the person who wrote the song for that particular movie, you know, in Los Angeles. Very cool. Very cool. Speaking of which, favorite song or album on repeat right now for you? Oh, so I always ask this question. If you were stuck on a stranded island, right? Stranded on an island and you could pick three artists, their entire catalog. Oh, oh, that's a great question. Right? Who would they be? Yeah. So I pick Fleetwood Mac because I get Stevie Nicks in that Fleetwood Mac. I cut it cheap. So I get two for one. Yeah. Brilliant. Then Pink for sure. Yes. Yep. And then I... I sort of 
change my mind about the third. You know, do I want it to be yeah. someone like Bach? Do I want like, yeah. you know, Hawaiian music? Do I want reggae? Do I want jazz? Do I yeah. want, you know, so the third one always kind of changes for me yeah. because, you know, remember if you're trapped and you only yeah. can listen. Yeah. It's gotta be good. And it's gotta be like something you could keep listening to. It's gotta Great be something question. you can keep listening to. But on a repeat, I can always do Fluid Mac. I can always yeah. do Pink. I can always do, you know, local Hawaii performers, you know. Amazing. Have you heard the Andy Samberg Pink song duet for Pride? It just came out, right? It's the new one. Did it, it just was, come out like it, six months it was, ago? Or so? It came out like a few years ago, but it was like a Lonely Planet. Andy, it was like their like joke music videos, but I'll, I'll send you a link to it. It's great. All right, please it's, do. It's, it's Pink and Her Finest and Andy Samberg, of course, in his comical stylings together singing a song. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing with your life? I would love to be um, a photographer for National Geographic. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Let me be really um, specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, it's funny. We have a photographer from National Geographic coming on the show. I'm going to find out what their answer is and I'll let you know because then they may say, I want to be a speaker and author. And and then we'll just switch jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a day at least or a week. Yeah. See if you can yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would, I would have said I, I really wanted to be a photojournalist for sports, like yeah. for Sports Illustrated or, you know, yeah. so, so I sort of started, I love photography and because yeah. I'm not talented from an art perspective, but I love to capture what I can see, yeah. but it, I don't do it enough, unfortunately, to be good enough to actually let the picture look like how my eyes see it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it would be that. That's a great job. Yeah. Or awesome. a professional athlete of some kind, if I could swing that. I'm a little yeah. old now, but Maybe before. <laughs> no, it's great. This is anything you want in these questions. It's perfect. There you go. What is an app on your phone you can't live without? Right now, I've been really using Calm. So yeah. it's the app that, you know, yeah. take 10 seconds, take 30 seconds, take oh. 60 seconds. Because yeah. I'm on such a treadmill, you know, I, yeah. you know, sort of serving, it'll be serving Europe is, you know, 4 to 7 a.m. Pacific time. Yeah. Then you have the U.S., yeah. which then you've, you know, and then in the late afternoon, you get... Asia Pacific, right? So, and then you somewhere in there between, you'll get Latin America. And so yeah. sometimes the days are really long. Yeah. So if you oh. don't take those half hour, you know, take yeah. a walk, listen to some just calming music. I don't yeah. actually listen to podcasts when I do those breaks yeah. because I'm you. trying to actually let my mind get curious and settle down and think yeah. and absorb versus cool. shoving more <laughs> into yeah. it. No, good for you. Good for you. I find David Attenborough's voice soothing. I wonder if David has a audio track somewhere. I love it when he does those Planet Earth specials. What's a favorite children's book that you love? I loved Green Eggs and Ham by yes. Dr. Seuss, of course. Yep. Great. Wild Things was a good one as well. Yeah. And then Scooby-Doo was the favorite sort yeah. of cartoon. Yeah. Perfect. Easy. Uh, yes, this is amazing. Uh, best thing you ever bought for under $10? Oh, listen, we have a 99 cent store here. Like, yes. that's a crazy question because oh, you yeah. can go in and buy a hundred things for 99 yeah. cents. Like, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've gotten really cool stuff. Nice. And now they've opened one that's, I think it's under $5. No. Okay. So that's right. Not just 99 more. cents. Right. So moved it up a little bit, but it could be something like a pack of gum. I'm yeah. super happy. Yeah. 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 Perfect. What's the most important thing you ever changed your mind about? I think when I was growing up, I swore I'd yeah. never leave Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I had to like become an adult and get yeah. a job and yeah. I had to go. Right. I yeah. mean, unless I was going to be in the military or in hospitality, yeah. you know, yeah. in that particular part, you know, of the world, 
Those yeah. are really the two things. If I wanted okay. to get into technology, which I did, I, I couldn't yeah. stay. So that was something I was really surprised that I would eventually leave. My mom okay. was even surprised. She thought for sure yeah. I'd never go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Business or marketing book you'd recommend besides your own? Oh, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. You know, I think that the- Maybe top three. Top three you got to take to it. Like the, the island. The top three you take to a, an island. Yeah. So, well, anything by Seth, I'm a huge yeah. fan yeah. of, right? So anything yeah. by Seth. I enjoyed uh, Enchantment by Guy Kawasaki. Yes. You know, yeah. I like Tipping Point. I like those as well that aren't just sales or marketing. Yeah. The CMO of MasterCard has a new book out. Raja oh. has a new book out that's really okay. great. I like this, you know, digital body language, right? Because yeah. I think it's applicable. Yeah, fair. You know, so if I if I had to pick sort of those that I, In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters is an oh, all-time yeah. classic that I will- nice always hang on to. And he endorsed my book as well. So, you know, I I love me some Tom and we're working on a project right now together. So I'm super excited about that. But yeah, To Sell as Human by Dan Pink is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's tough because I actually would say if you're a sales and marketer listening to this, read something that isn't a sales and marketing book. Like get into the psychology of buying, buying habits, you know, by near, you know, anything around habits, uh, how to change those habits, buyer persona, that kind of stuff. But then the general business is understanding how things work is also yeah. uh, super important. Awesome. A podcast that you recommend? I like Masters of Scale. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. I like, well, A Canadian Six Pixels, you yeah. know, was, <laughs> which uh, I've been on his show twice. And I also like ones that come out of like MIT or Wharton or Harvard, yeah. where they'll be very yes. specific. Yeah. And so, you know, I have some that I will consistently listen to, but I like yeah. it when Tim Ferriss's podcast, you know, now everybody has a podcast. When I started my yes. podcast, yeah. you know, five years ago, there wasn't very no. many, not no. like now, right? And now yeah. over, especially over COVID, oh, yeah. everybody's launched a podcast. Uh, yeah. That's why. No yeah, there's Yes. Um, but, but I think the, the skill now is curation. What are the good ones? Where, yeah, where do you so go for I, the, actually, the meat and potatoes? Uh, there's a great tool called Good Pods okay. that a friend of mine started. Yeah, uh, okay. JJ Ramberg used to be- okay the host of a MSNBC show yeah. for startup businesses and for small businesses. Anyway, yeah. that was her problem, right? Curating podcasts. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. yep. you know, what other friends are listening to, what other people or interests. So not just by category, but that really like people who listen to this kind of also listen to that. Brilliant. So she's, she stood up a great service for it's that. It's been needed. That's like the Netflix thing, for podcasts. Curation. That's genius. Yeah. Oh, good. I got to check that out. That's really smart. Newsletter or website you'd recommend for resources, inspiration? So, you know, anything from any of the, if you're not familiar with the Thinkers 50 list, it's sort of the Oscars of management thinkers. There's 50 people on it. I was fortunate enough to make 50, number 50, not number 51. (laughs) Thank goodness. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) When being last, when you're really happy about being last, right? Yeah, that's great. I'm okay. I'm good with that, right? But anybody on that list, right? It has yeah. the Seths Godens of the world yeah. and the Tom Peters of the world, the Rita McGrath, yeah. Whitney Johnson, yeah. Dory Clarks, Tasha yeah. Ricks, right? They have incredible podcasts, books, okay. newsletters, et cetera, nice. around some really key topics. So, and you can go to Thinkers 50 on Twitter and subscribe to, they have a list, you know, that you can subscribe to that yeah. it's all the thinkers curated into. So you just need to follow that instead of following them all individually. But Roger Martin, who's another great thinker and was the dean at Brotman, he's been on my podcast and he was actually very instrumental in getting me on that Thinkers 50 list. 
and so, you know, anything Roger puts out, I'm a, I'm a fan of as well. So I have a kinship with Canada. It's amazing. That's amazing. People that are graduating or, or trying to think of a new job, a new career, what are the skills that they need to be getting? What are the skills that you look for in this kind of new economy, call it like a new collar economy? Boy, I'd say all the skills you'll need going forward are probably not any that you're going to learn in school. What would, what would some of them, what would, just throw in some out there. What, what is Storytelling. Yeah. Okay. Empathy. Yeah. Collaboration. Giving radical candor, right? Very Kim Scott. Giving yeah. feedback, taking feedback. Like those kinds of things. Wow. How to interview, how to, you know, how to ask for promotions, ask for more money. Like literally everything I learned in college, like I said, everything I learned about business, I learned at the carnival. Yeah. I don't have to use physics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't have to use algebra. No. I definitely didn't learn enough history. You know, clearly over mm. the last year and a half, I've realized that I didn't know much <laughs> history. Yeah. But the things that you really need that I lean on all the time are even it's like, you know, signals that people might, how to say things differently, how to ask for help, how to yeah. listen more intently, how to ask better questions, yeah. storytelling, writing. Yeah. And I don't mean like writing, writing, yeah. like, you know, writing a, a white paper, yeah. but just writing an email. Yeah. Or, how do you communicate in 140 characters, 180 characters? Like, yeah. So I just, I worry that I think school has a great role, but I also yeah. think if you listen to anything that Seth says yeah. or Roger says or some of the others, right? Or, you know, you really need to think, you know, Scott Galloway, there are so many people talking about oh. how do we yeah. disrupt education yes. in order to prepare people. Yeah. And so if you're listening, and you know, and you're thinking, and you're in school, and what do I want to do? It's yeah. those outside experiences you're going to have. Go volunteer yeah. somewhere because then you're going yeah. to learn how to, you know, interact with people who are different ages and different communication styles. And yeah. you're going to crash and burn, and it's going to be ugly, and people are going to yeah. get mad at you. But you will learn, and then you will get better, and yeah. <laughs> you know, you will move on. So, I worry that a lot of those things that kindness, yeah. like even that, you know, yeah. it's like, well, how would you teach that at school? I think there's ways that we can. Right. I, we could dive into that. But Scott Galloway, I love that he, as a professor, speaks about that. Like he brings this authority and this level of insight, which is brilliant. Um, last question, but not least, where can people find you if they want to follow you more and, and get to know you more? Yeah, so I'm super active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. So you can follow nice. me at both. I'm also yeah. on Instagram and Facebook, obviously. I have my What's Next podcast with Tiffany yeah. Bova, which I have yes. some really great guests that come on, you know, I try to uh, keep it fun and interesting. And I actually don't talk about sales or marketing at almost at all yeah. on the podcast. I try to keep it about things that are on the edges of it so that nice. people who are in those roles can learn and hear different things, you know, how to hire more diversity and inclusion in your selling force or in your marketing organization, why yeah. that's important, you know, why have using design thinking principles is really good, especially in this time, you know, if you're going to yeah design something that can only be read, then you're completely wiped out the sight impaired and being able to use your product or even masks today. You know, if someone is hearing impaired, they can't read your lips like that doesn't. So thinking about design thinking through all kinds of lenses. And so I try to talk about stuff that gives people new perspectives. And then I have a newsletter called Think Forward that you can subscribe to on LinkedIn as well. Amazing. Amazing. We're gonna put your LinkedIn link in the show notes. Tiffany Bova, everyone, the chief 
Growth Evangelist at Salesforce. Salesforce, I'm going to say, I keep saying that wrong. And the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it was wonderful. And so you can get the book anywhere, everywhere. We're going to put a link in the notes as well. And we'll see you next time on Marketing News Canada. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.